0: Welcome to the CVA Grain Exchange Podcast. This is your host, Luke Beckman, Grain Sales Manager for Central Valley Ag. During this podcast, we dissect the latest USDA updates and discuss other key market features. Every month, you will hear from different members of the CVA Grain team on what trends we are seeing in the marketplace and solutions to current marketing challenges. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 47 of the CVA Grand Exchange. Luke Beckman here, joined today by Nathan Mangold with Advanced Trading, commercial broker with them and uh, good business partner with CVA. Nathan, good to have you back.
1: Thanks, Luke. I yeah, appreciate being back on.
0: We had you on in June, Nathan, to talk through uh, the WASDE report at that time. Uh, so been three months or so, so good to get you back on the show. At that time, we were kind of talking through cash markets being inverted and and what message is the market trying to tell us. Uh, And I think that ties in a little bit to today. We get the stocks report that just finalizes our carryout numbers for the 22-23 year. And uh, always a message in there about cash markets and what they're they're trying to tell us. So going to want to get your thoughts here today. Let's just dive into the numbers. So this is the measure up as of September 1st. Uh, grain in all positions, and it helps us finalize the carryout numbers for 22-23. Just looking at the numbers, corn was mildly supportive. They came in today at 1.361 billion bushels, and that compared to a pre-report trade estimate of 1429. So mildly supportive on the corn. Um, As we look at the soybean side of things, not quite as friendly. 268 million bushels is where the U.S. or NAS reported that final number versus a pre-report guess of 242. So we were a little bit larger than the market was thinking on the soybean side. And uh, the wheat side was also a tad bearish. Uh, Wheat in all positions, uh, production-wise, excuse me, uh, 1.81 billion bushels versus average trade guess of 1.729 billion bushels. So we had wheat, we had soybeans above or upper end of average trade guesses above in the case of wheat uh, and the corn was near the lower end of the trade estimates. Did not finish well in the markets today, though. Felt like the beans and wheat kind of too much for corn to overcome and a negative finish on the day. So, uh, Nathan, we can dig into the numbers here on some of the more intricate details of what the report had to say, but let's just start with your key takeaways in corn.
1: Yeah. So, key takeaways in corn, of course, was the Q4 feed residual is up almost 100 million bushels from last year. So, Just kind of, as you think forward into the first quarter of the new crop year, as we bring prices down, corn sub $5, low prices cure low prices. And I think that's some of what we're seeing is a bigger supply. So that should increase our overall demand for feed on that regard. So there, there may be some argument on where exactly GCAUs or grain consuming animal units are year over year. But the big picture, uh, low prices tend to increase feeding. And if we remember that feed residual is the residual portion, the black hole category for the USDA. So uh, there's a a strong correlation there as crop sizes get bigger, we increase our feed residual number. So we should see that into this next first quarter or first half of the marketing year uh, with lower prices if we can sustain these otherwise like like you already mentioned you know the carry out stocks were about 70 million bushels below the average trade guess so we'll carry that into next year we marginally changed the crop size if you remember we made a change several years ago we now get a final corn production estimate off of the sep one stocks and it was a real small adjustment this year so not enough to talk about with your viewers so the nice thing is we put last year's 22 23 crop year to bed, and that's finalized. And so we got our SEP 1 stocks, last year's production put away. As, as you know, it, it, if we don't pass a budget here, which doesn't look favorable, we'll probably have a government shutdown starting tonight. So we'll miss the NAS grain report on Monday afternoon. We'll start missing export inspection estimates, uh, weekly export sales estimates. And more importantly, in a few weeks, if if we continue to stay shut down, we'll miss the October yield report, which is the next big market moving report. So looking at some recent history, uh, the average government shutdown was just shy of nine days. In 2018, our last government shutdown was 35 days. So that would put us well past that October crop report. So we might miss the next key yield uh, from that report, which in my mind just kind of makes us probably drift listlessly here a little bit over the next 30 days or so, or until the government reopens without new information, you know, we'll be trading off of trade rumors. But more importantly, you know, as we try to gather yield data that we're hearing out of the farm, farm gate, you know we'll we'll have some opinion of which direction yields may go but we'll really be flying in the dark here um going forward until the government reopens and not to say that we will shut down but it sure looks like that today sure
0: now they are actively in their survey period I believe probably for that October report doing walking fields and all that that might actually already be complete I'd have if you're familiar with that at all when that period is happening
1: yeah I I don't have the exact dates off the top of my head, but it, give or take right about now, I don't believe that would be completed quite yet okay. for that October uh,
0: survey. Okay. So that'll be something to monitor for sure. Certainly impacts short-term trade direction, yeah, in these markets. But great to see, you know, some bushels disappear, I guess, in today's report with a higher uh, implied feed in residual use up to $5.5 billion. So yeah, there's not going to be any questions what the balance sheet on old crop is going to be, uh, whether that report shows up in October or not, uh, and then what our beginning stocks look like. But yeah, big question, like you mentioned, will be how are we impacting this yield? What did they find with some of their objective data um, as they've walked fields and just trying to narrow in on, on, uh, well, what that carryout really looks like as we look at the 23, 24 year. Any surprises, Nathan, as you look through... Uh, any regional stocks data. Uh, We haven't talked about the percent of stocks on farm or off farm. We can mention that here a little bit, but higher share of bushels or a bigger growth year over year in on farm stocks um, and a smaller number of off farm stocks. So it looks like the farmer year over year holding more grain than what the commercial is. Surprised by that?
1: Uh, From a cash perspective, uh, it does not surprise me. The warehouseman or the commercial elevator is going to do what the market tells him to do, and that is, you know, as we visited this last summer, the markets were in inverses. the The market was saying your cash grain is worth more today than it is tomorrow. And from a hedging perspective, uh, we would have not carried grain going into the new crop here. So the person who it appears did carry more of that is is the farmer so the percent of on farm corn stocks are roughly 44% which is the highest we've seen for quite some time i think you got to go back probably about 15 years before to see that so yeah the farmer has a lot of that and you, we can feel that in the nearby cash markets some of it's just related to maybe a little bit of a slower harvest if you would have asked us 30, 45 days ago when harvest was gonna start up and and, uh, we'd feel the effects of that. I think we would've thought we were further along than where we are today. On Monday, well, I think the five-year average for corn harvest is 21%. So you were 15 this last week. It just feels like because of the significant drought that we had in the Southwest, you know, the 100-year type of a drought scenario, it's just a really big pipeline to fill. And we're still feeling the effects of that. You know, the, the dry mill, the feed yard is still the best bid in many markets that still say, Hey, I'm I'm not covered I'm still trying to make that transition to new crop. And we're we're feeling that with the slow harvest. But yeah, so the farmer does own a, a big share. And if we break out the western corn belt, so west of the Mississippi. Dakotas, Minnesota, Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, there's 55 million bushels of more corn on the farm and 23 million bushels of less corn on the farm. So net net effect is 32 million more bushels. And uh, with that said, it's the farmer is what owns the lion's share of that, the, the, the change year over year anyway.
0: Yeah, not probably not surprising, just like you had mentioned with, you know, the market telling uh, not not providing an incentive, I should say, uh, to store and carry grains. So I'm um, probably not surprised at the data. Any thoughts on when we feel confident about, you know, the pipeline being recharged? As you yeah. mentioned, we're maybe feeling like or the cash markets are telling us that they're just that the market's still trying to to get yeah. fully recharged.
1: And and we're gradually seeing that, you know, if we went back 10 days ago, we probably saw 30 to 40 cent inverses in the spot bid to the all fall type basis bids. And today that's gravitated, you know, into the 10 to 20 cent arena, most in in a lot of areas. You know, there's some isolated spots that are still showing some bigger numbers, but I would think by the end of next week, um that'll gravitate maybe we cut that again in half but uh, I also got to remember the farmer got a lot of beans to harvest here and and we're just getting a great start on beans too so that might prolong that inverse a little bit more than I init- initially think but I would think as we we get into the you know for 21 nationally harvested you know week over week we'll you know probably approach something towards 30 percent plus that that hopefully ought to eventually that it should break that old crop basis down to new crop by then by the end of next week, I would think. But
0: okay. Well good thoughts on the corn. Nathan, let's talk beans. Um we already mentioned the the key numbers as we look at on farm stocks, uh, they're up 14% year over year and the off farm stocks down uh seven percent compared to a year ago. But uh your thoughts on the soybean stocks numbers.
1: Yeah so what do we end up 25 million bushels more than the average trade guess? So higher stocks, it's still big picture, tight, not as tight as it could have been, or what we felt. Some in the past, I just looking at some past history. 2020 were 257, 2021, 274. So you know, big picture. We're probably we're kind of right in line within the last couple of years, which give or take 250 million bushels uh, or less is not burdensome stocks by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, It's still a relatively tight macro or U.S. domestic uh, situation. But more importantly, as we look forward this next year, because of the yield, a lot of analysts, I think, believe the yield is sub 50 bushel per acre. So being able to carry in another 20. Five million bushels or that 268 million bushels will give us more of a cushion to offset that sub 50 bushel per acre yield uh, that the trade is leaning towards at the moment. So it does help the new crop balance sheet uh, importantly in the next year.
0: Now the USDA does not have maybe as big of a black hole in the soybean balance sheet with the feed and residual number, but we did have uh, a residual number demand bucket in the bean balance sheet that was positive, uh, coming into today's report. The residual category in beans certainly feels like just a slack adjustment type category, and they used it today. Uh, we had we had 23 million bushels worth of residual demand on the balance sheet when they last reported in September, uh, so they essentially just took that down to next to nothing to account for the stocks situation. Is there anything else to that, Nathan, other than it's kind of a fudge number and they used it today because we found more beans than what we thought we had? I think you pointed it out very well, Luke. It's, it's, lack for a better word, kind of a fudge number,
1: and it's a way for them to, you know, we we relatively know our crush, our exports, you know, we can back into our crop size. So, you, you adjust that through through the residual number. I think you're spot on.
0: Okay. Well, as we, you know, as you mentioned, the government shutdown will have some implications on when we will see this data show up in a WASDI report. But assuming maybe it does here in a few weeks, like you said, that carry out the carry-in uh, goes up for the new crop number and makes that situation a little less tight. Yield obviously very important. We were talking about this before the broadcast here, but Uh, USDA's cut a fair amount of demand out of the US bean balance sheet since we saw the initial estimates in May. Your thoughts on how much slack they have left in those numbers to cut if we continue to see this yield break on the soybean balance sheet?
1: Yeah, good question. As your listeners know, we have a biofuel demand out there. So we are maximizing our crush. We're bringing new plants online. You know, and in your Listener's Backyard, you know, you had an AGP plant in Sergeant Bluff that expanded, uh, just recently coming back online with that expansion. Uh, we had a new plant in Shell Rock, Iowa, start up this summer. Uh, you guys have a Norfolk, Nebraska plant that it's expect, you know a tw- expected to start up in 24. We just started up ADM in Spiritwood, North Dakota, 50 million, give or take, bushel plant per year. Sydney, Ohio just expanded. So you know, we're going to max out our crush. So we're, we're penciling in a 2.3 billion bushel crush demand, which is up 80 million bushels from last year, essentially just maximizing our crush. Margins are down some on crush and plants are still going to maximize their their crush capabilities uh, this next year. So we know that category is is probably fixed. So where can we potentially lose demand and that's export so when, when we think about exports USDA is currently at 1790 1.79 billion bushels advanced trading is at 1750 40 million less and we have a strong bias today that that potentially goes another 50 million bushels lower so we'd be off uh, you know roughly 90 million bushels from where USDA is at and That'll go straight to our carry out. So, you know, our carry out today, give or take, is around advance, give or take, 200 million bushels. And if we add that, or eventually lower those exports, we're probably looking at least at a 250 carry out. And there are other analysts out there that think our exports could even uh, drift lower. Uh, there's some 250 to 300 million bushel carry out estimates uh, floating around the trade today. So. It's all about South America. Brazil continues to be uh, an export competitor. As we, despite the fact we're in our new crop, they're still shipping beans in October. They're still offering beans out for sale in November at competitive prices versus U.S. So Brazil's just not going away. And it, you know they got another crop that they're planting right now. So there'll be another new crop coming online And then on the timing of planting and harvest, uh, give or take sometime in January, we'll see new crop beans coming out of Brazil for export again. Uh, So we got a pretty short window here and we're just missing our demand. Also, year to date, China has been importing more beans per month than what their crush usage is. So on paper, they're building stocks domestically in China. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but um, I think year to date through August, they have imported roughly 14 million metric ton of more beans than what they have utilized. So that's over a, a month's worth of crush demand in China that they've imported. Interesting. Their carryout stocks are growing ever since the Trump they shouldn't call them Trump, ever since the US tariff years against China, they've started to build their stocks up. And so we've, you know, we've taken their ending stocks from a give or take a 15 million metric ton area to roughly, again, I'm going from memory, a 35 to 40 million ton stocks number. I assume the government's holding on to those, you know, in a lot of years when we have in in markets, uh, it wouldn't be advantageous for a commercial in China to carry beans year over year. So they're most likely being added to the government stocks uh, in China. So they, they have the ability to say at any time, we wanna pull back a little bit, use more of our domestic stock and maybe wait for those cheaper beans that are gonna come off the combine in Brazil. Brazilian offers to China, in february are about a dollar 30 a bushel cheaper than us beans delivered to china in february a dollar 30 a bushel so we're we're out of the game come february we'll fight for some business in january between us and brazil you know we'll get the lion's share of it but brazil will still be a thorn in our side come that time frame so that's where we can see exports continue to drop. Again, Brazil's just planting. So it's an El Nino year, which tends to mean a little bit drier for central Northern Brazil. So they, they still got to produce that crop, but remind the viewers too, or listeners that year over year, Argentina had a significant drought last year. El Nino typically means a normal crop size in Argentina. So we got a, a big rebound in supply coming out of Argentina, which today, we're exporting a lot more soy meal to make up for the the supply lost out of Argentina. Well, when Argentina harvests this crop this next year, assuming they have a normal yield, then we're going to lose our, our meal export share uh, when Argentina comes online. So it'll be negative for meal exports. And if they have normal crops, we'll struggle to keep our current USDA export number in there. So overall it, It looks a little bearish on the outlook for ending stocks. Me personally, I also had to remind myself preparing fall outlooks this year. I saw that 200 give or take million bushel carry out in the U.S., and I wanted to get a little bullish, but I forgot to look at the world or the global stocks to use ratios, and they rebounded from last year 28% to this year 31%, up 3%. It's up 4% from two years ago. So we just got a much bigger supply globally than what that, what we've had the last two years. And that's what's laying on prices.
0: Nathan, you mentioned uh, Argentina coming back online and crush uh, meal exports, excuse me, out of the US, likely to feel that. Does that show up in our crush margins at all at some point here? Or does it get offset by cheap beans because we're not exporting the whole bean
1: great question if you looked out on the forward curve i had somebody mention this to me uh today i i didn't look at this personally but they just happened to mention that i believe it was july crush uh board crush so this is just futures but board crush uh was trading below a dollar so pretty significant change when we've seen this last year a lot of two plus dollar board crush margins all year and the cash crush margins were, in a lot of cases, three plus dollars. So we've seen that it's just the board crush, it's just the forward curve, but I think you're spot on, Luke. I think the the board crush is looking out at the forward curve and saying, we've got some competition. So yeah, I think that the market realizes that meal, you know, we've got big demand for renewable biodiesel or Biodiesel going forward because of the push to quote greener greener fuels, but meal's the byproduct, and that's going to weigh heavy on crush margins.
0: Good, good, uh, really good thoughts there, Nathan. I think everybody wants to be super friendly beans, you know, because of that carryout number, and certainly it's probably going to have a better chance than corn if we run into issues in South America. We just maybe don't have the uh, cushion in the carryout like we do in corn. But uh, nevertheless, not a runaway bull in the bean market and certainly some challenges with demand as we go forward. Let's mention let's mention wheat a little bit. I think wheat kind of got in the way today. Uh, like we said, corn was mildly supportive, beans not so much. And I think wheat was a little bit of an issue too. But any thoughts on uh, the wheat production numbers that they shared with us today and just some implications to maybe the row crop markets?
1: Yeah, you're, you're spot on. I think, you know, wheat and corn are tied to the hip. Wheat, wheat uh, was down pretty sharply today, particularly in the proteins. Spring wheat uh, saw, a, give or take, a 46 plus bushel per acre yield from a 41, give or take, yield that we had in the last report. So a big jump up in the spring wheat yield. So that really weighed on the market. Uh, we went from, you know, pegging production at hard red spring at 468 million bushel compared to 413 in August, so a 50 plus million bushel jump in overall production up there. And thinking out loud on that, that the spring wheat crop in general was uh, about, a, you know, a percent lower in protein. Typically, a, a low pro crop tends to lead towards higher yields, or that's kind of a, a rule of thumb I have in the back of my mind, and it it, it played out this year in, in the North Dakota spring wheat crop. So, Bigger spring wheat crop will be more competition to hard red winter wheat. And we see that through the intercommodity commodity spreads between like the Minneapolis, Kansas City spread as that, that'll ebb and flow as one or the other tries to gain de- demand, whether it's through exports or through, de- you know, domestic mill demand and, We've seen that happen here recently um, where maybe Mexico has stepped in and, and maybe bought a little bit more spring wheat versus hard red winter wheat, as an example. Step back from the 10,000 foot view, kind of hanging on spring wheat for a second. We've seen a little bit of Chinese demand for spring wheat. That's you know some high pro milling quality. Not unusual to see China come in and buy a little bit of that every year. Might get some headlines uh, from some news sources, but it's it's really not on my radar. But we go to hard red winter wheat. Uh, we we got to bump up production some, uh, about 15 plus million bushels higher than what we where we were at in August. And you know it's really a domestic story in hard red winter wheat. Year over year, the domestic demand or domestic usage versus supply, uh, that if you look at that on a stocks use ratio, is bigger. So we got more stuff domestically. Even though we're still relatively tight in the big picture of things, we're just not competitive in the world export market with hard red winter. The Black Sea is still significantly cheaper than U.S. wheat uh, offered out and by, by the tune of $40 to $50 a metric ton on a fob-to-fob basis. So, you know, Russia needs U.S. dollars. The ruble's cheap. Maybe USDA underestimated last year's crop. Despite the headlines talking about missile or drone attacks in Ukraine, Ukraine continues to ship grain to the world marketplace, maybe less so than they have in the past. Maybe they have less supply, but there's still a pipeline, whether it's domestically through Europe, off the Danube River, or most recently, uh, what they call the humanitarian corridor. There's been a couple more boats uh, coming through some of the Odessa area uh, coming out of Ukraine. So. We're just not not competitive. Bigger wheat crop, just to your point, Luke, as you started with, it just weighs onto the corn crop, the, the wheat corn spread relationship.
0: You mentioned wheat. Uh, we're just not competitive uh, in the global export market. Had this conversation with some other folks. Do you, I mean? Do you feel like the the wheat trade in the U.S. is almost like a a foreshadowing of what's to come here in soybeans, corn, where Global production is really amped up in uh, in corn and key parts of the world. Ukraine is one of those places. Uh, mm. South America is one of those places. Obviously, we know what's going on in South America with soybean production. Are we, I mean, do we have a pretty good template here for our export share and just the direction that it's headed in corn and soybeans when we look at wheat? Yeah,
1: that's a, that's a really good analogy. And I think you're probably right. Uh, one, yes, is the short answer will be that residual supplier we may have, where there's always a wheat crop being grown somewhere around the world. Uh, So it just seems like there's there's another country that's ready to start exporting wheat to the world. Um, When I think about soybeans or corn, it depends on the Black Sea situation to a degree and, and how Ukraine does moving forward. But of course, there's a lot more acres to expand out of Brazil and it, you know, with the world weather events, maybe our residual, maybe we'll have a, a a potential to export more often than maybe what we do in wheat. Just thinking through trying to grow crops in South America every year and, and the importance that we put on the safrina corn crop in Brazil in, in particular. Their winter season, i.e. their dry season in Brazil where an El Niño or a La Niña can impact that crop quite a bit. So maybe a little bit more volatility in the exports on corn uh due to that. But one one difference probably in my mind would just be that, the you know how much do we ramp up biofuels here in the US? We, we might be more of the residual supplier, but we might also, just like we saw in the ethanol boom, you know, we really ramped up our, our ethanol usage uh during during that time frame. And whether it's renewable biodiesel or sustainable aviation fuel. We're, it sure seems like the politicians want to ramp that up. Whether whether we agree with it or not, it's coming. And uh, it feels like we'll have a, a bigger domestic balance sheet in that regard than than maybe the wheat. So maybe we've got a little bit of a backstop in that regard. Because if I think it was the Biden administration's goal on SAF, is pretty lofty. So for us to get to that 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 requires a lot of domestic usage to get there. So uh we might have some demand to help offset some lack of exports. So it maybe won't won't feel quite as burdensome initially as maybe what the wheat residual felt to us or being the residual.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's good uh I think that's an important distinction that you bring up there. Just uh maybe some different homes uh for corn, different homes for soybeans. So maybe related, but yeah, certainly, certainly not similar as we look yeah. at being the last, last place to come as a supplier. Well, Nathan, this was a good discussion. Appreciate your color on our stocks reports today. This is always a big day. It's been volatile in, in prior years. Uh, today had smaller surprises, but this gives us another key piece of the puzzle as we move forward. And we'll see if this October WASD report comes out as scheduled. That's going to do it for episode number 47. Hopefully we'll be back with you in early October as we talk through the October WASD. If not, stay safe with your harvest. And Nathan, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Luke. Thanks for listening to the CVA Grain Exchange. Stay up to date on all things CVA Grain by signing up for our grain emails at cvacoop.com grain or follow us on social media at Central Valley Ag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next month, and until then, stay safe.